With more than 200 accredited courses and more than 1,000 videos, the Police One Academy is a powerful online solution that provides department training programs with features that reduce time spent on records and policy management, credential tracking, and more. It is law enforcement training made simple and effective. For more information and to get a 30-day trial, visit www.policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, welcome back. This is Jim Dudley. Uh, it's not quite the end of the year, Jim. It's actually early December, but because of travel and other matters, we're going to be recording today our end of year kind of summary of what's going on in policing in our country in 2017. And when I was thinking about this, several items came to mind, but the first and foremost um, was, of course, the the largest mass shooting in American history in Las Vegas in, uh, I believe it was in October, um, you know, where that, and I'm never, I never named the active shooters, um, that man fired from the hotel down upon that country music festival, killing, I believe it was 49 people. Uh, Police response to that, you know, we're still digging in and and kind of unpacking what that was. But from the outside looking in and only knowing what's open source, it did appear to me that the police responded quite well to that. Um, I also believe that there were several civilians that replied and responded quite well to that. Um, I think, of course, of the guy who, finger quotes in the air now, stole a truck (laughs) and utilized that to evac people to the hospital. Uh, a Marine, I believe he is. That's great improvisation. <laughs> and, and just to think, you know, uh, there's keys probably going to be in this vehicle because this is a vehicle that's working the event. But that's just really thinking it outside the box and quickly. Um, what are your impressions of, you know, first that event and then other things that have transpired, of course, in the year? Well, I think I think some key issues, uh, number one, is event security planning certainly came under scrutiny. Um, you had people uh, essentially in a box um, that the shooter uh, took advantage of, um, literally a captive audience. Um, you had the issues of the hotel. How do you get 20 plus rifles into a room? Uh, granted, there are trade shows and people are expected to be bringing things up to their rooms. But um, at some point, you've got to wonder, really, could you get 21? Yeah, you can sneak them in. You can get them in. Um, you know, you can parse them out and get them in. But but that's certainly an issue that's been raised. Um, I think there's an issue of perhaps an undiagnosed mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, were there precursors? I mean, we still know very little about the individual. But the fact that he wasn't diagnosed with a mental illness doesn't mean he didn't have one. Right. So people in the know who know about him might know some things that are that are very useful that may or may not have come out, but you know we're not privy to the investigation. Um, and then finally, I think one of the, one of the really key issues here is you hit it on the head. The the Las Vegas cops, the the people that stormed the building, they saw where the gunfire. They located the gunfire. They went into the building. They got up there as quick as they could. They encountered booby traps and obstacles. They got through, and they made contact just before the individual. Uh, killed himself. Now, that sounds like a pretty good urban shield scenario to me. Yeah. And so you have 
officers that just run towards the the active fire. Maybe they've been trained, maybe they haven't, but you've got this you've got this dissatisfied group of anti-police uh, individuals and groups that say, we don't want urban shield training. We don't want officers to train for military exercises. And this is not an isolated event. Mm -hmm. it, it, the magnitude is unique, but we've seen these things happen and we better train the cops in the street to deal with them because we're not gonna have uh, the time element that says, you know, back in the old days, surround, lock it down, mm -hmm. wait for help. When people are getting shot and killed, we're going to the source now. We're, we're getting together in a diamond formation and we're running to it. We're not gonna wait. And I think, I think the biggest burden on policing, police leaders is to educate those opponents of Urban Shield and show them why it's necessary. You mentioned Urban Shield and you mentioned, uh, you use the words running towards an active fire. Um, one of the agencies that was most influential or most important in the ICS, it, it, in the spreading of ICS is Alameda County Sheriff's sure. Office mm -hmm. and Sheriff Ahern over there in the East Bay. Um, running towards an active fire is exactly what 80 plus agencies in the Bay Area did this year. Mm -hmm. um, during the wildfires in, in Northern California, Sonoma County, Napa County, um, I just finished an article outlining all of the heroism that uh, had taken place up there. Apparently, according to the sheriff up there, um, 29 of his employees lost homes, and many of those people reported for duty immediately upon fleeing their home. Um, people from all over the Bay Area went to not the sound of gunfire, but an actual wildfire, and were putting out hot spots with garden hoses. And without the ICS, without having the ability to have um, that scale of mutual aid, mm -hmm. um, you would never have been able to have all of these officers from different agencies working in a team. You know, you had three different colors of uniform in a squad car sometimes. Sure. And they were working as a team. They were working as a giant organism of thousands of people trying to combat these wildfires. And you also look at what the other big story from, from natural disaster standpoint was in Houston. And, you know, you had not only police officers, but I've forgotten what it's called, but, the, you know, these volunteers with boats, uh, something something like the, uh, the the Redneck Navy or whatever the devil it was called, I, I can't remember. But you had people coming from all over and working together, and without something like Urban Shield to give you the opportunity to learn what it's like to work in, uh, you know, ha a hastily assembled team, learn what it's like to work in an ICS system, uh, you know, you're going to have chaos in, in that type of response. And so, you know, to your point, you know, Urban Shield and exercises like it enable police and fire and EMS and hospitals and other first responders to get to know one another, to figure out how they're going to work together. Because the last time, the, the worst time to hand someone a business card and say, hi, I, my name is, is the day of the, it is the day of the event. Right, right. No, and, and I think you touched on just about everything that, that made those responses successful. And certainly ICS and SEMS, the, the, emergency management um, uh, structure helped 
communications is key, interoperability is key, uh, having a mobile field force mentality, having strong leadership, somebody who can say, uh, this is the staging area, these are the action hours, here's our incident action plan, these are three things we want to accomplish. Um, otherwise, you just have sort of controlled chaos. Mm -hmm. And so um, recently, um, a former colleague of mine and friend of mine, Dave Sullivan from uh, San Francisco Department of Emergency Management, um, because all, you know, all too often we deal with these things over and over again. Most recently, it was the fires. Um, I know Dave's from up that way. And he came up with a list of 25 things that if you are about to be deployed, these are things you need to do for your own self-protection before you go out. And um, really good things to, to remember, um, especially if you're in an evacuation area. Um, well, And there's pre-planning that should, should go in advance of that, mm -hmm. like having a go bag, having gloves, goggles, and sturdy shoes to get out of a situation. Here in, in San Francisco and, and in California, we worry about earthquakes. Um, other parts of the country, tornadoes and hurricanes and windstorms and snowstorms. So we've all got some sort of common natural enemy out there that's lurking, so we should prepare for it. But in the case of the, the fires, uh, Dave talks about protective gears, uh, the N95 ga uh, mask, protective facial mask being number one. Um, I know when people are buying things out of uh, hardware stores to protect the troops, grabbing that painting mask, the painter's mask is not gonna cut it. You need an N95 mask. If you're gonna buy them personally, buy enough to spread around, uh, give to others. Um, if you're going to evacuate your own home, take both your cars. Don't leave one. Mm -hmm. um, put put your um, papers and documents and things like that on a server away from your home. Uh, if you just run out with the clothes on your back, everything's gone. Yeah. And you know what? Stuff is replaceable. But if you have documents, things that you might need, prescriptions and things like that, load them up to the... To the cloud. To, to the, the cloud. Get them in the cloud. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of really good suggestions. Um, um, maybe we can do a supplemental article and add some of those suggestions so people could take a look at. Yeah, we sure sure should. Um, you know, there were several other issues that were, they weren't events, but they were trends. They were things that sort of percolated to the surface, it seemed, every couple of months. Um, because of the, I want to say, <clears throat> tension, <laughs> conflict dispute uh, between two sides of the political spectrum. We had a variety of um, First Amendment incidents, mm -hmm. uh, some of which turned violent. And, you know, as you've said previously on prior podcasts, cops are stuck in the middle. They're in, you know, in, they're damned if they're, they do and they're damned if they don't. And they're trying to separate these two sides who literally hate each other and want to violently act on the other side sure. and you know the cops are trying to restrain restrain them but also allow people to have quote first amendment rights right now i differentiate of course between a riot and a first amendment event but you know what are your thoughts on you know it happened over and over with the charlottesville and you know how, how do we get this right well cops are again stuck in the middle of a social issue there's certainly a first amendment right of freedom of speech freedom to peaceably assemble um, and we've seen it in California, we've seen it in South Carolina, we've seen it across the country where one group opposes 
the speech or even hate speech of another still doesn't give them the right to jump in there, tear up their signs, set fire to shoot pepper spray at them, uh, use weapons on them. Uh, and the police are, are stuck in the middle, sometimes influenced by political powers that tell them to stand down, mm-hmm. where, where cops end up looking awful as somebody's uh, getting beat up within a couple of arms lengths of them. and they Cars they, are on fire. Cars are on fire, but they're told <laughs> not to take action. And we know that's not the way to go. Yeah. And then when police do get in there and use force, they often get accused of, t- of choosing one side or the other. Right. And so, you know, throw in the mix the political ramifications, throw in the mix uh, well-armed uh, militia, if you will, or uh, sometimes they're referred to as Antifa yeah. or Black Bloc. And you've got this... this this mentality out there that they're, that's normal, they're normal, they're part of uh, the resistance. Right. And to the point where last week I, I've, I've sent the article from the New York Times to, to a couple people showing that in the New York Times there was a two-page article in the style section on what to wear to the next riot. Yeah. That they, they glorified uh, black block and they stuck it in style because they could say, well, they wear black hoodies, black t-shirt, black pants. Uh, black uh, stormtrooper boots and a black backpack, and they're trying. It's it's it looks like an attempt to normalize it, or maybe even um, romanticize it. And it really it's certainly me. glorifying, you know, that that group. And, and then they talk about the the tactics of the black blockers uh, not carrying uh, cell phones or any identifying um, uh, identify identification. Um, because they don't want police doxing them, or they don't want to be the targets of doxing, which ironically is, is what they're doing. That's one of their their weapons. Yes, it's crazy. So to normalize it, I think is awful. I did a letter to the editor to New York Times. Certainly, they did not print it. Um, yeah, it's it, cops are stuck in the middle. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I've heard the criticism that they take sides when. The police are open. If you say, we're going to march, here's our plan, they're going to listen to you because mm-hmm. it's it's intel gathering. They're going to want to do as much as they could. What's your capacity? How many people do you expect? What's your marching route? Um, do you need a media section? Do we need to hold up traffic? How many cops are we going to need? And if you're um, a an opposition group and you say, hey, I'm not talking to the police, I'm not giving them any of that information, let it be a surprise to them, where can the cooperation take place between the police and your group? So yeah. you can't have it both ways. No, you can't. Now, another place where, and we've touched on this earlier this month um, in much greater detail, but because it has been an issue over the course of the year, it's, we would be remiss in not including it in our year-end recap here. Um, cops are stuck in the middle of sanctuary cities. And, you know, without going too deep into it, we can refer to, I think it was two or perhaps it was three weeks ago we did this one. Um, you know, h- how do we resolve the problem where you, we need to have the ability for people who are here illegally and are victims of crime to be able to report crime and, and, and be safe and at the same time be able to deport upon finding a person who's committed an illegal act who's here illegally um, and just, just boot them out because they're not productive citizens. They're not produ- productive members of our society. What, what's your thought on that real quick? 
Uh, real quick, I mean, you on the one hand, you had Sheriff Arpaio in Arizona mm-hmm. pulling people over, show us your ID, show us your documentation. If not, you're going to the pokey. Now you have California, a sanctuary state, and sanctuary cities across the United States that are saying to their police officers, do not ask for legal status. If they are a nonviolent, even felon, they go to jail, they get out, nobody talks to ICE. Again, puts the cops in the middle. Uh, Again, uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody when they see somebody's had three, four, five contacts, they've been here illegally the whole time, and nothing's been done, and now we get to an egregious crime uh, the politicians that that want to hide behind the sanctuary city mm-hmm. throw up their shoulders, turn their hands to the sky, and say, "Hey, you know, it's that's the way it is." You know, another one that's the way it is. It's funny that you should just use that term. Um, we're the way it is now is we are now beginning to see we're reaping what we've sown, if you will, mm-hmm. with the decriminalization of various offenses. We've yes. gone from felony to misdemeanor on variety of different drug charges and. You know, a couple of years ago, it was Prop 47, you know, across the country, we've had some of these these things, even the legalization of marijuana and the ramifications of that. And what we're now beginning to see the effects um, of of those things. What are your thoughts about where we're going with that? I mean, in 2017, we've had a variety of different pieces of data put put to us. 2018, what do you think? 2019, what do you think? Well, I think I think at some point the pendulum's got to start swinging the other way. We've gone we've gone with these liberal ideas of decriminalizing uh, drugs. We've decriminalized theft and nonviolent crime. We've emptied the jails um, through a criteria of elderly, sick, uh, those close to the end of their sentence, um, nonviolent crimes. But who's the end victim? It's the consumer. It's the the man on the street or the woman on the street. The cops are stuck in the middle again. And now with property crimes being so decriminalized, um, it, it the way where it shows up is the bottom line for you. Mm-hmm. Your house gets burgled three times. Your insurance goes up. You're, you're paying deductible every time. You go out, your car's broken into. Stuff's stolen. You're paying the deductible. You're fixing the windows. So... Because they're individual victims, you're not seeing a wholesale opposition to it. But I, I've got to think that when we say uh, we want to decriminalize these things, but now you've got an epidemic of car break-ins, and then the legislature tells you, oh, yes, and now you must have two officers from every station or every department dedicated to just fill in here. Mm-hmm. Homeless, drug use, auto break-ins. So now to the point where they're dictating the role and the mission of the police. And that's wrong, too. I got to think at some point the public is going to say enough. They're going to take their voice back to the polls. Uh, why is Rohypnol, the date rape drug, mm-hmm. why was that decriminalized from a felony to a misdemeanor? That's ridiculous. Who did that benefit? Why did you make it a, from a felony to a misdemeanor to possess a gun that was stolen from a car? Who did that benefit? I, I, they're all head scratchers. You gotta, you gotta wonder who's coming up with this legislation and who's advising them and why and yeah. why. Yeah. And that's why I think it's it's super important that the voters backlash at them, and I think the police unions need to start 
jumping in there and saying, hey, do you know the long-term ill effects of this legislation? Yeah. I want to wrap it up with one that's kind of personal to me. Um, towards the end of this year, I was norm named to the board of directors for an organization called Blue Help. And um, its mission, its objective is to reduce, uh, prevent police officer suicide and, and then assist in the event that someone dies by suicide, assist the uh, families. I was doing a little research uh, as I was beginning to get ready for our board of directors meeting uh, earlier this month. There were 119 deaths at the time of my uh, research on ODMP. 43 of those deaths were by gunfire, felonious uh, assault, if you will. Mm. Shockingly, 93 police officers at the time of that research died by suicide, according to Blue Help. Oh. It's nearly double. Um, and no, in fact, it's more than double. Uh, and that, unfortunately, is something that we've seen year over year over year. I've written on the matter of police suicide um, a number of times. Some of the things that you know I've written about or how to, how to spot someone who in potentially, uh, you know, in your agency is having ideations or making plans, you know, saying things like, you know, would you take care of my family if I wasn't here anymore? Or mm -hmm. none of this matters and I don't really care anymore. And all of those things. And I think it's really important as we go into... 2018, I've certainly taken upon myself um, as making it a, a top line objective to move the conversation forward and take away the stigma of getting help. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I think I think you got it right there. The stigma. So in law enforcement, we've got these powers that that most other professions don't. Um, the power to deprive somebody of their freedom to arrest them, and and the power of of non-lethal and lethal force. Um, so the stigma attached to someone in crisis to the point where uh, they may be involuntarily um, sequestered to, to get help, uh, they could be disarmed. They most mm -hmm. likely are disarmed. Most likely are, yeah. Uh, they've got to have a hearing to get their gun back. So I think not only is the individual uh, worried about that happening and the security of having a firearm because that's part of their job. Um, but then there's also the fear um, on behalf of the individual who may want to report someone or yeah. or try to get somebody help that they're reluctant in getting themselves. So, um, I mean, I think those are two big stumbling blocks to, to getting somebody help. And and. I don't know what the answer is, except to say there's there's got to be some assurances that um, once uh, therapy's been achieved, once uh, the um, the crisis is over, then the person has some um, ability to get their job back or yeah. go back to their regular job. I think I think right now that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and I, I think we've all seen it. We've all seen it at work. The the one individual in crisis where you try to talk to them and then you're, you're just reluctant to pick up the phone to make that that call to the behavioral science uh, people. So uh, I, I want to encourage people, especially at this time of the season, this late in the year, mm -hmm. um, you might have people, you know, somebody um, estranged from their family for whatever reason or who suffered the loss of significant others um, throughout the year. Maybe they're feeling kind of down, include them in activities um, pay attention to them, uh, and then make that call for help if you think it's necessary. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just quickly add to that that 
if you are an agency that has suffered um, the loss of an officer by suicide, um, now is a good time to reach out to that family and make sure that they know that they're still part of the law enforcement family um, because they are probably in this first Christmas after the loss of their loved one, um, they're going to be going through some tough times this mm-hmm. year. Sure. Um, so anyway, we did celebrate our 100th podcast in uh, 2017. I'm looking forward to um, 150 in 2018. Uh, it's been a great year. Uh, in many ways, it's been a challenging year in others, but uh, it's been great doing our podcast together, you and I, Jim. It's been and, a fun uh, ride. Uh, cyber high five. A cyber high five. And um, to everyone here who's listening, thank you for being loyal followers of the Policing Matters podcast. We really do appreciate you, and we appreciate any time you want to talk to us. So drop us a line at policingmatters at police1.com. That is policingmatters at police1.com. Thanks again for listening.